Good morning. Our reading today is from Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. You may locate this in your text in your Pew Bible on page 850. First, let us prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that as in the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and enduring fountains of the earth for the Lord as a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you, and what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I have brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent you before Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gigal, what you may know saving the acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you. For mortal is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So the first thing I noticed when the plane landed was the snow and the ice on the ground. It was February and I had just landed in Buffalo, New York, where I was pleased to be preaching the next morning in a Presbyterian church in West Buffalo. At the time, I was living in Atlanta and I had not checked the weather reports. It was 64 degrees when I left Atlanta. It was 27 when I landed in Buffalo. The hosts for that congregation picked me up at the airport, took me to a lovely dinner, and then dropped me off at the hotel. I was unpacking, and I realized I had no shaving cream. And so I called the front desk, and they didn't have any either. I said, is there a place in walking distance I can get to? And they said, uh, well, the only place we can think of that's nearby even is across the freeway, but to get there, you've got to walk down for a while, do the overpass, and come back. And they may have shaving cream, we don't know. And so I thought, well, I'll just try it. So I put stuff on, everything that I had, and I walked out. I hadn't packed a heavy coat, I hadn't packed a scarf or gloves, I just wasn't thinking about this. 
Walked down, overpass, back up, walked in, gas station there, no cars, walked into the convenience store, there was this sheet of plexiglass that protected the cashier's station. I didn't see any toiletries out in this part, but I looked at the plexiglass and I saw a shelf behind the clerk with toiletries, deodorant, toothpaste, mouthwash, and a little canister of shaving cream. And the woman was right there, and she looked at me. She had big hair, and I thought, oh, a Texas transplant. And I thought, so? She said, um, she looked out at the, at the gas pumps, and there was no car. And then she looked at me, and she said, how did you get here? And I said, actually, I, I walked. I'm at the hotel across the, said, you walked here? And then she said, why are you here? And I said, well, actually, I need shaving cream. And behind you, I can see the shelf, a little canister. And she said, no, no, why are you here? And I said, really, I want shaving cream. It's a little canister. It's behind you on the shelf. And she said, why are you here in Buffalo? And I said, oh, uh, well, I, I just got here. I live in Atlanta. Actually, I'm here. I'm here preaching at a Presbyterian church in the morning. It's around here somewhere. And she said, you're a Presbyterian preacher? And I said, well, well, well uh, kind of, yes, sort of. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, um, I don't, if you're not working tomorrow morning, if, if at church home, uh, um, you should come. You should, it's around here somewhere. You should come to the Presbyterian church and worship with us. And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, I, I can't come to a Presbyterian church. And I said, well, why not? And she said, I'm not good enough to be a Presbyterian. She went on to tell me that she also is not rich enough to be a Presbyterian or educated enough, smart enough to be a Presbyterian. I got my shaving cream and I was walking back down the freeway overpass back to my hotel. And I thought to myself, how is it that this woman gets the idea that in order to worship with us, you have to be smart and rich and you have to be good? How is it that she has the idea that even if your life is in shambles, when you come to Village Presbyterian Church, you have to put on the facade that everything is going great. Because we don't want to reveal to one another actually what our pastor Becky just prayed about. That some of us are in deep pain and we're struggling every single day. And then reading about Micah, that's exactly what the prophet is frustrated with. You see, he is frustrated with the Hebrew people because they are more concerned about appearances and their rituals in worship. They are more concerned about themselves and how they measure up with each other than they are about the injustices and the people who are being oppressed all around them, some among them. They're competing about whether you bring the best offering, yearling calves or rams or, or rivers of precious oil. They're competing about firstborn children being dedicated to God. They're so concerned about their own selves and their own status that God, interestingly, you heard Marion read it, God actually invokes the creation. God says to the mountains and the hills, look, testify for me. 
See what I have done for these people. These are the people that I brought out of slavery in Egypt. I guided them through the wilderness. I showed them what it means to be my people. I prevented King Balak of the Moabites who wanted to wipe them out. I prevented him from hurting them. And yet they are so consumed by themselves, they have ignored me. And Micah says to the Hebrew people, God has already shown you what really is good. God has already said to you what God requires of you. God requires three things, the prophet says, that you would do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. That's it. It's more important than your appearing perfect, more important than your being smart, more important than your being rich. God says, I require three things, do justice, Love kindness, walk humbly with me. Uh, Gene Peterson, himself a Presbyterian pastor, he's written a paraphrase, not a translation, but a paraphrase of the whole Bible. A paraphrase allows the author to take liberties where the language doesn't support it. And so his translation paraphrase, really, of Micah 6 is, God has already made it plain to you what God wants you to do and how God wants you to live. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal with your love. And don't take yourself so seriously all the time. Trust more in God than you do in yourselves. That's Gene Peterson's paraphrase of Micah 6. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. Do what is right. Do what is fair. Not just with our neighbors, but even with our families, loved ones. So I was privileged to be invited to preach a series of revival services at the Chapel by the Lake Presbyterian Church outside of Juneau, Alaska. We had worship services on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. Took Saturday off, and then I preached the last services on Sunday morning and then left. Before Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday services, I asked the pastors, could you invite a young person one night, an older adult one night, another person, just to stand up for a few minutes before I preach and sort of give their testimony? And just sort of say, this is how I know God is at work in my life. Just for a few minutes, just invite them to share that. And they did, and it was wonderful. On Friday night, Bill got up to share how God is at work in his life. Bill was an elder at the church. He was a business owner. He actually founded and owned the largest architectural firm in Juneau, Alaska. Had over 140 employees very, very well-known, deeply respected, handsome man, had a wonderful family. Bill had a great life. So Bill got up, this elder, and said, I've been asked to share how God is at work in my life. And he said, I know God is at work in my life because this day is the anniversary of eight years of being sober. 
I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I've struggled every single day not to take a drink. There was an audible gasp in the congregation. Not Bill, 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 really Bill? People were astonished. Then he turned to his wife, Anne, who was sitting there in the congregation, and he spoke to her, and he said, Annie, I know God is at work in my life every day because I'm still married to you. I was a terrible husband when I was drunk, but you stayed with me. I love you more now than I've ever loved you in my life. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for forgiving me and loving me still. Then he turned to his two teenage children, Angie and Josh, and said, Ange, Joshy, you know this. When I was drunk, I was a terrible father to you. I was mean and I hurt you. And I know God is at work in my life because you still love me. I spent the last eight years trying to make up for those terrible times. I am so proud of you. No dad could possibly be more proud of kids than I am of you. I love you more than I love anything else in my life. Then he sat down. After worship that night, I saw him. And I greeted him and said, Bill, I, I am so grateful for your courage. He turned to me and said with a wry smile, Pastor, it wasn't courage. It was the right thing to do. Do justice. Do the right thing. With neighbor, with family, with yourself. Do what is just. Love kindness. Um, uh, I was also then privileged to preach for a weekend retreat for a high school group outside of Portland. This is the Presbytery of, of Cascades, um, Western Oregon. We gathered at the Presbytery Camp, which is perched on this beautiful bluff overlooking the Columbia River Gorge. It is a gorgeous campsite. We were there for Friday, Saturday, uh, Melissa came to be with us. She was um, paraplegic, wheelchair-bound, freshman in high school, petite, quiet, very shy. But I was impressed that she was there. As beautiful as this conference center is, it was not very accessible. And she was not able to participate in much of what we did. She couldn't even sleep with the other girls in the cabins because she couldn't get the wheelchair down the mud trails to get there. She had to stay by herself in a bedroom in the main lodge. Recreation on Saturday, she couldn't go out to the fields with us. It was too wet, too muddy. She stayed behind. Her exact opposite that weekend was Darren. Darren's a high school senior, tall, athlete, loud, obnoxious, annoying charismatic, always pushing boundaries. He seemed to know where the boundary was, just not to cross it, but he was going to go right there to the edge of it. We were tired of Darren by Saturday nights. <laughs> the last event that night before curfew was a dance. 
So we cleared out all the chairs in the main lodge area and pushed them against the side of the walls, and then we were dancing. And typical, my experience at least of late with adolescents at a dance is that there's not like couples dancing, it's like group dancing, right? They're just sort of in groups, right, dancing. Of course, Darren's in the middle of it and, and annoying people and being an athlete and a good-looking guy, and everyone's like, ugh, Darren. He goes to the, the disc jockey who's doing the playlist and says, hey, hey, cut it for a minute, just a minute. So he turns the music off and was like, Darren, what? And he goes, everyone get a chair. So everyone goes and grabs these chairs that were stacked against the wall. And he says, put them out in the middle of the floor, just scatter them. And so we scatter 200 chairs for high schoolers and adults. He goes, everybody sit down. So we all sit down. I'm thinking, is this a game? What is he doing? Then he yells at the DJ, start again, and he plays some music. And then Darren yells from his seat, Melissa, it's time to dance. Get out here. And Melissa, startled, she rolls her chair out into the middle of the floor. And 200 high schoolers and adult leaders, we danced, all of us sitting down. It was a glimpse of God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Afterwards, we were breaking everything up and going back to residence halls, to cabins. I saw Darren and said, Darren, that was really cool what you did teaching us to dance sitting down. He said, I know. <laughs> Three things God requires, that you do what is right, what is just, that you love kindness. You love being kind. Third thing, that you walk humbly with God. It's interesting that in the Hebrew, all of these verbs, they're imperatives. So you may think it's like do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis is on the verb. It's do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. So some of you know this, that by your grace and through your kindness, I was on sabbatical this past summer. And in August, before coming back to you last month, I ended up teaching for a week at Yonsei University, teaching a seminary class there. This is in Seoul, South Korea. On the way back, since I was all the way over there, I thought, well, I'll stop in Japan, where I've been several times, but I'd never been to Osaka, which is a major city. It's called the Kitchen of Japan because they do food really well. And so I went to Osaka, and I was walking around, and I had a great time exploring the city, eating amazing food. And, and I, I am by no means fluent. Some of you know this. I'm actually fourth-generation American of Japanese descent. So it isn't my parents or my grandparents. It's my great-grandparents who emigrated from Japan to come to the United States. So since I'm fourth-generation, pretty much in the Japanese language, I can only do two things. Order food, and I can insult you. <laughs> Those are not really helpful. So I kind of I studied up on my Japanese. I thought, I should try this. I, I, should, I should learn some more. And so this is all conversational. So I'm walking around the city, and I'm asking directions. I'm ordering food. 
uh, I'm, I'm uh, shopping, and whenever, it never failed, whenever I would say something in Japanese, the person would respond to me in English. <laughs> it was maddening. I'm like, come on, look at this face, I can pass. <laughs> and my language is pretty good. So on the second to the last day, I had to go to the Japan Rail office at the train station and buy a pass to get on the train the next morning to go to the airport. And so I, I go up to the clerk, and I, I had worked on this. And so I, I went up to her, I waited my turn, I went up to her, and I bowed, and I, I, said, I said, hi, konnichiwa, and she said, hi. And I said, um, ashita no roshu desu, hai no kate no motoikatu desu ka? I thought, dang, that was good, Nishioka. <laughs> She smiled and bowed, and then she said, Yes, I'd be glad to help you. <laughs> and I said, I I'm sorry, uh, I just spoke to you in Japanese. She goes, I know, very good Japanese. How can I help you? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 this has happened to me for the last three days. Everywhere I go, I speak Japanese, and you talk back to me in English. How did you know I was an American? And she said, oh, very good Japanese. And I said, yeah, but how did you know I was an American? Oh, Japanese, very good. But how did you know? Oh, bad accent. <laughs> I said, I have an accent? Yes, very bad. I have an yeah, American accent, very bad. How can I help you? And I said, I, I'm sorry, I think I sound just like you. Oh, no, 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 bad accent. Then she said, also, you walk wrong. I said, excuse me? She said, you walk wrong. I said, I walk wrong? She said, yes, I see you come in. You American walk, not Japanese walk. Then I hear you speak bad accent. I know, American Japanese. I said, how, how can I walk? I'm sorry, how can I walk wrong? And she said, oh, you walk American walk, not Japanese walk. How is an American walk? And she said, okay, you, Japanese, you, Japanese, walk wrong, bad accent. How can I help you? <laughs> and then, reading Micah, I thought, Oh, the Lord says, walk humbly with God. And it occurred to me, what if we Christians had a Christian walk? What if people could see us yards away and think, oh, look, there's a Christian. You can tell by their walk. And the walk is doing justice. The walk is loving kindness. When you do what is right, when you do what is just, when you love kindness so much you share it everywhere you go, then you are walking humbly with God. I think the order is intentional. I think the Holy Spirit wanted that order. You do what is just, you love kindness, and then you'll be walking humbly with God. I'm not so concerned about being perfect, or being rich, or being smart. I'm more concerned about reaching out to those 
who are suffering around us and the ways that we are making other people suffer with our lifestyles. When you do justice, when you love kindness, when you walk humbly with God, you speak truth to a whole congregation. You reveal yourself, who you are, to a whole congregation. You teach 200 people how to dance in a different way. You show Melissa that she belongs. And like Melissa, you have the courage to come to a retreat where you know it is not going to be friendly to your body. Friends, the Lord requires three things. Doing justice, and loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.